0: Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. And here on this side, I wanted to just take a moment to encourage you in the message of Christmas. The hope that we have in Christmas. You know, our hope that we celebrate today is the fact that our savior was born that the king that was promised arrived that he came to us that he meets with each one of us that no matter what we're going through no matter what we're facing no matter what space we're in in our lives we serve a God that shows up we serve a God that is Emmanuel he is with us in every moment in every day Wherever you are, wherever you come from, God is with you. Hope in that moment entered this world, a hope that this world didn't know before, a hope that this world couldn't have have dreamt of having before, as we were, were lost in all of our own struggles, in the calamity of this world, in the difficulties, in the struggles, in the things that make us feel overwhelmed. And it's in years, especially like the one that we've just had, where we come to the end of ourselves really quickly. We come to the end of our own abilities. We come to the end of our own intelligence. We come to the end of our own plans. And it's in those moments that we are so grateful for the hope and the presence of Jesus that we have in our lives. So it is a privilege to be able to, to encourage you this morning and to share this Christmas moment, the celebration with each one of you. To many, Christian uh, Christmas is just a tradition, a Christian tradition, or a religious moment that allows us to reflect on some of the virtues and the values uh, that, that we believe in, a few good values. But the truth is, is that Christmas is far more than a religious holiday. It's far more than just reflecting on some good values and some good virtues. And the reason is because we need more than values and virtues. Many times we agree with certain values, we agree with certain virtues, but we do not find within us the ability to keep them, right? Like for example, if I said we believe that honesty is a value, but how many of us are honest all of the time? So even though we know the right things to do, the truth is, is that we do not find within us the ability to always do what we know is right. And so, the hope of Christmas has to be more than just another moral teaching. Otherwise, it wouldn't be hope. If it just told us what to do without giving us the ability to do it, it feels a lot more like condemnation and despair than it does feel like hope. Our hope is not in virtue this morning, our hope is not in a moral code this morning. Our hope is not on some good practices for life this morning. Our hope is in a Savior who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, who stepped into our brokenness, into our despair, into our hopelessness. As the Scriptures say, those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. The light of Christmas is Christ. It's His grace it's his ability that causes us to be, li- to be able to live lives we would never have been able to live without him. And so it's not just reflection on, on peace and joy and, and those things. It's reflection on the person and faith in the person that brings all of those virtues into our lives. We cannot conjure them up in our own strength. Christmas is far more than a religious tradition It is grounded in the reality of a promise that was fulfilled by God. God is so faithful. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.13, even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. It tells us in Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated His love for us in this, that He sent Christ to die for us. This is the good news. This is the gospel message. Not that you are supposed to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, but that a savior came to lift us up out of that darkness. And his name is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. Christianity then, in essence, is not even a religion. It's not a set of practices as much as it is a person. That's where our faith is centered a genuine, real relationship with a God who fulfills His promises. And that promise that God made from ages past, in fact, you'll find it right in the beginning of the Bible, you'll find it right in Genesis, is that He will deliver us from all that ensnares us. Everything, every temptation that the enemy brought against us, and as humanity was plunged into the state of brokenness and sinfulness and addiction and, and the you know, being enslaved to worship things that destroy us. And you might say, Well, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily go into a church of the destructor and worship those things that destroy us. But the things that hold our hearts, that grip our hearts, end up destroying us. And so, as we sang in that carol this morning, those beautiful words that in Jesus all oppression shall cease. That was the promise that God made to us: that He will set us free. At Christmas time, we celebrate the fulfillment of of that promise of a faithful God who loves us and is, and is faithful to his own word, so much so that he sent his own son to die for us so that we may be free. Now, there's a couple of scriptures that every Christmas you'll hear them repeated over and over. You've probably already seen them a thousand times on Instagram just in the last two days. But, you know, I just had to preach one of them this morning because. It is so powerful, this promise. We've spoken about Jesus being our joy and the joy that he brought. And last week, Pastor Mark so powerfully shared on on the peace and the hope that God brings to our lives and the grace that came through Jesus in the appearance of Christ. But I want to look at Isaiah 9 verse 6. And today I want to focus on Jesus being the king. He is the king who is born, the king who was promised, the king that will come and bring peace on earth. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for unto us, a child is born. This is coming through the prophet Isaiah 800 years before the birth of Jesus. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the promise that God made. This is the Messiah, the Savior, that the world was waiting for. Ralph Sockman said about the birth of Jesus, the hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. The hinge of history, this was the pivotal moment in all of history, the incarnation I was reading some statements last night, and one of them was spoken of by by Bono, lead singer of U2, where he spoke about the fact that God, who created all things, was not born in some palace, was not born in some, you know, that the very, the very hands he made are the hands that carried him. The humility of God and the love of God to be born on this earth amongst the people and the world that he created. And for him to be born in a stable, there's something so poetic about that and something that speaks so deeply to our hearts. It goes far beyond any bit of religious philosophy. That's the love of God. It's what we celebrate today. This is what we've always needed. More than some good teaching, we needed a savior. We needed a king that had the authority to set us free. As I was preparing this message, um, I I was reminded of an experience I had, a moment I had as a dad, as a parent, uh, when my oldest son, Eli, was about four years old. And there was a birthday party and the birthday party venue was actually at his play school on a Saturday morning. And so we went through to the play school and, there, and it was quite a big party. The parents had organized a lot of guests and, you know, all the, 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 the friends were there and their siblings and some of them were older siblings. And so there was this group of boys, primary school boys, maybe seven or eight, year old, you know, eight years old, that gathered, uh, a few of them gathered on the playground. And at one point, Eli wanted to go and play on the swings. And so, you know, I, I told him I would sit on the bench and watch him. And he went out onto the playground to go and play. And while he was playing there, I'm not exactly what hap- sure what happened. But at one point, the boys, these older boys started teasing him. If you know my, my boy, Eli, he's pretty much fearless and never backs down from any kind of confrontation, even at the age of four. And so he stood up and started defending himself. And, you know, returning some of these things that were said to him to this group of boys. And I'm watching this unfold, you know, kind of interested to see how he would handle himself. And at one point he picks the biggest boy in the group and walks up to him and pushes him. This boy was maybe about seven or eight years old. Eli was not even, he was, it was close to his fifth birthday, but not quite yet. And uh, I watched as this boy took two steps forward And put Eli in a headlock and started shaking him around. And that was it. You could see Eli went from confident to I can handle any situation. In fact, I distinctly remember that look on his face when he realized I thought I could handle this by myself, but now I'm in trouble. I could see instantly that look on his face. His eyes went wide as this boy had him in this intense headlock and started shaking him in that position. And so obviously as a dad, this is the time that, you know, I step in. I got up off of the bench and I stepped onto the playground. And I shouted at that boy, hey, let him go. And then to add insult to injury, I asked the boy, how old are you? And he said, I'm seven. I said, well, he's four, let him go. And uh, these boys were obviously a little bit frightened by the way I had approached them. And they actually all just ended up, running away. And I remember Eli looking at me with that relief of, Dad, I thought I had it, but I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad that you were there to step in. And as I I thought about this, I realized how many of us have been held in a headlock by this world, by the things that we experience, by the enemy of our souls, but also by the sin that so easily ensnares us. You know, it's no way to live. You cannot go through life locked up in oppression and slavery to sin. The very things that you desire to do in your own heart are the things that you cannot do. And the very things that you desire not to do are the things that you end up doing. It's no way to live. That's not freedom. And some of us have been held in this headlock, in this vice grip for so long... We don't even realize that we're living that way anymore. We don't even know what freedom feels like. We don't even know what it means to stand upright, not being held in the chains of addiction and sin and struggle and negativity and all the other things that are a part of living in this world. It's just become normal for us to live that way. And many of us have accepted the idea that even though the Bible has its promises, that we'll just never really be free. Maybe one day in heaven we'll be free, but right now that's not an experience we can truly have. But God, because of His great love for us, was not content seeing us held captive like in a very small way what i felt that day seeing my own son being held under i could not help myself but step in that's what god did at christmas time that's the promise that he made this incredible moment in history where the king who had the authority to set us free would step into this world, and become that savior to us. The idea of Jesus as king for us living in a modern society is a difficult one for us to grasp because we don't really operate under kings in this world anymore. Maybe in some of the African contexts, you know, they would still have tribal kings and chiefs, uh, chieftains that would give them a closer idea to what the Bible speaks about when it speaks about Jesus as king. For the rest of us, that's often just something that we know from movies, but when it comes to our government, when it comes to our own country, being a republic, being a democratic republic, you know, we we don't really understand this idea. And when we read about you know, the scripture in Isaiah where it says that Jesus is a counselor and he's a leader and he's a guide. And, you know, we might even understand him as a savior, but we have very little context for Jesus as king. And for some of us, especially if you've only ever understood Christianity in a religious sense, we may even reject that concept to some extent. How can Jesus be my king? I don't have a king. You know, who, who elected him as king? Was there a democratic, uh, you know, process involved in making this Jesus king of my life? Because I didn't vote. You know, I didn't say, hey, yes, I think Jesus would be a good king. We often have this attitude that we'd be willing to take some advice from Jesus. That's why we actually want to go from having Jesus as king to just some religion that gives us some advice. People choose advice over salvation because when you can take advice, you're still the one acting upon the advice. You're still the one that is in control. But the birth of Jesus is something so much more than that. It's bringing us to the place where we surrender our lives. Not, okay, God, I'll, I'll take some, some you know, tips that you've given me there in the scriptures and I'll go and live it out in my own strength. No, it's the place where you realize you cannot live one day without his guidance, without his leadership, without his his grace in your life. It's so much more. It's surrender to the king. It's surrender to the king who was born. And many times we think, I don't want a king, I'll just take some advice. And we have this attitude, usually only until life puts us in a headlock. And the look of surprise is on our faces when we realize this is too big for me. This is too much for me. What do I need now? What do you need when you're in a headlock? What do you need when you're sick? What do you need when you're struggling? What do you need when your plans have failed? What do you need when you cannot overcome that addiction? You don't need good advice. You need a king who steps in and declares, like he did when Lazarus stepped out of the grave, like I did when I stepped onto that playground, a king who says, loose him, loose her, and let them go. You need authority, and you don't have it yourself. Otherwise, we wouldn't need Jesus. You need the authority of the king who has the ability to set us free, and that's who Jesus is. And so we're all against the idea of a king until we need that king, until we realize that we are under attack and we cannot do it by ourselves. Then you no longer want gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That's the Jesus version that we all like. You know, the pictures of him carrying the sheep. Jeez, what a great Jesus. He's so nice to those sheep. And yes, Jesus is gentle and he is meek and he is humble. But if you read in Revelations, He also has fire coming from his eyes. He also has, you you know, his face shining like the sun. You also have his voice, a double-edged sword proceeding from his mouth and his voice like the sound of many rushing waters. You also have the Jesus that if we were to see him in his full, full glory right now, we would all be on the floor. That's the Jesus that we need, the one who can declare Loose him and let him go. And that's why he came. Jesus came to defeat every force that stood against you. And we have this hope now because he has won the victory. Because he has put the enemy of your soul to public shame, parading him through the streets as defeated. I love the story of the centurion, the Roman centurion, a soldier who had a hundred men under him within a Roman legion. And at one point, one of his soldiers, one of his his men, his servants, is sick or is ill. And he asks Jesus to heal this man. And in Matthew 8, verse 7, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said, following, uh, said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What is the faith that this man has? He understands the authority of Jesus. He has trust in the authority of the king. And so in this moment, he says, you don't even need to come to my house. You just say the word because I understand authority. I am under authority. I get my orders and I fulfill them. And I give orders and I watch them being fulfilled. So I know that if you told the sickness to go, that sickness would go. I know that if you declare the dead to come to life, the dead will come to life. I know that if you declare this addiction broken, the addiction will be broken. I know that if this depression that has hounded me and these thoughts that have kept me up at night, if you speak to them and tell them to go, I understand authority, they will go. And Jesus said, this man has got great faith. You see, this morning we can be encouraged by the authority that we have in Jesus. You may feel defeated. You may feel like you're stuck in a vice grip. You may feel like you're caught up in sin, but the king has been born. He has arrived, and he has given the order on the cross for you to be set free. Why do we surrender to this king? What would cause us as people who feel that we are autonomous, why would we ever surrender ourselves to this king well first of all because he truly is king but second of all because he is good he is a good king. 1 John four nineteen says that we love him because he first loved us. You see God wins us over with his love that's where his his power lies in his grace. That prophecy that I mentioned in Isaiah tells us about this king that will be born and how the government of the world shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. That word wonderful in in the Hebrew actually means incomprehensible. We see it in another time in the Old Testament when Samson's father says to the angel, what is your name? And the angel says to him, why are you asking me this since it is wonderful? What it means is, why are you asking me my name when it is too much for you to comprehend? You won't physically be able to comprehend the wonder of the name. So why even ask it? When it says Jesus is a wonderful counselor, it means that His goodness and His grace and His mercy and His love and His wisdom in the way that he counsels and comforts and guides and upholds and leads us as our king, is too great for us to even comprehend. That's what we have in Jesus, a wonderful counselor, a king that staggers the mind. He is a mighty God, a mighty God who is mighty to save, the one who spoke the universe into being, is the one who is working on your behalf. And so no situation is hopeless. An everlasting father. A father who continually is steadfast in his love and his commitment towards you. Not just a king, not just a dictator who sits on a hill and points at you and tells you what to do, but a father who is present with you. This is who we serve. Imagine having the king not only as your ruler, but as your father. And the Bible says that we have received a spirit, not to slavery again, but a spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That is an intimate word for dad. That's who we have as our king. And in antiquity, the king... of a a nation and a father of a home had the same duty, the same role. And that was one of protection and provision. And so you might be sitting here today saying, I am in lack and I'm stressed and I'm worried. I fear what might happen to my life. But unto us a child is given. Unto us a son was born and he is an everlasting Father, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He will protect you and provide for you. A faithful father. And finally, a prince of peace. A prince of peace. This is who our father is. He has brought peace, first of all, between us and God. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God took everything that stood between you and God, Jesus took everything that stood between you and and God, and He wiped it away. So you might be sitting here this morning thinking, I haven't been to church in a long time. You might be thinking, I know I haven't lived according to the ways I should have. You might be thinking, I failed in so many ways, I don't know if God will receive my worship or hear my prayers, or work on my behalf, because I know that there was enmity between me and him, between the sin that is present in my life and the righteousness that he is. But the Bible says that what Jesus did is he took all of our unrighteousness and he took it upon himself on the cross. And as he died on the cross, he took your unrighteousness in order that you would take his righteousness, C.S. Lewis said that Jesus, God, became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become children of God. That's the exchange that took place through the life of Jesus. He brought peace between us and God, He brought peace between us and God and us each one of us and each other peace amongst us as a people that's why it's so important for us as a church to put our differences aside we're we're a picture of heaven where people that are different have different backgrounds and different struggles and different ways of approaching life and in Christ we are one there is no more jew or greek slave or free, male or female in Christ, we're all equal in worth. We are a picture of the unity of heaven and that is something our world desperately needs. In a time of identity politics and you versus me and us versus them, the church declares, no, we are of one heart and one mind and one spirit with God as our father. We belong to each other. He brought peace to our communities. And he also brought peace between us and us. Between you and you. Because how many times do we hate our own selves? How many times are we disappointed within ourselves, about ourselves? How many times do we stand and look at the mirror and condemn ourselves for the the shortcomings and the flaws that we have? But Jesus says that if anyone is in Christ, the old things have passed away and all things have become new. You are a new creation in Christ. You have worth so much so that the God of heaven would die for you. I believe it was Augustine who said that God would die for us, even if there was just one of us, even if you were the only one, Jesus would have died for you. That's the worth. And so that, again, that carol that we sang this morning said that we, the world was in sin and error, pining, longing for freedom. Jesus showed up and all of a sudden, the soul felt its worth. I'm trusting that this morning, you would know your own worth in the eyes of Jesus, the great love that God has for you, and the fact that this morning you can surrender to the King and have Him step in and do for you what you could not do for yourself. When Jesus rules, there is perfect peace. So let the King, born on Christmas Day, be the King that rules in your heart, amen, amen, will not we, not you just stand with me this morning, we're going to pray, we're going to sing one more song together, and then we'll go out and take some photos, we've put up some lights, and some pine cones, and you're welcome to take some Christmas photos, if you haven't done a family photo, for, for all of your friends and family, you can go out and do that today, or we'll share some coffee, and, uh, and have some good things to eat before we go home. But right now, let's take a moment in our own hearts to surrender our lives on this Christmas morning to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that what you have brought us is not just some more rules. What you've given us is not just a moral code. It's not a religious tradition either. What you have given us, God, is your grace. You have brought us your grace and have become to us grace upon grace. You have set us free. In these moments, Lord, when we know we are held in the grip of sin, the grip of the brokenness of this world, the grip of greed, the grip of selfishness, the grip of all the things, Lord, that we battle with as human beings, we thank you that on Christmas Day, you sent the King who had the authority to deliver us. And so today, we do not stand enslaved any longer, but Lord, every heart in this place is free in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate that gift, O oh God, enlarge our hearts that we may understand. Enlarge our hearts that we may perceive the greatness of the salvation and the work that you have done. And this morning, Lord, on Christmas morning, the day we celebrate the birth of that King, we come like those wise men. Wise men worship the King. We come like those wise men today, and we worship at the side of a manger. We thank you, Jesus, for being born, for saving us. We surrender to you. Why don't you go ahead and just pray this prayer? Let's pray this prayer together this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize this morning that you are king, that I could never have saved myself, but this morning I can receive your grace, your forgiveness and your life. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me from the grip of sin, for making me alive and for giving me hope. You, O Lord, are my King. I give you all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give Jesus a proper shout of celebration this morning? You can stay standing because we're going to just end off with one more song of celebration. This song declares that he has turned graves into gardens, that he has taken things that were once dead, and through his life he has made these things alive. He has taken bones and turned them into armies, and those things represent our lives. I, don't, I cannot even begin to imagine where my life would be if it wasn't for how Jesus took me, from that place of death and transferred me into his life and the kingdom of light. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it this morning. So let's go ahead and uh, sing this song together as we close off this morning.